Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The speaker series, Donde Esta Mi Gente, spotlights writers who explore their Latinx roots in their work. The virtual event is free, and the next installment is tomorrow night, which will feature the voices of Afro-Latinx writers from across the U.S. Joining me now is curator of Donde Esta Mi Gente, Baruch Boras Hernandez. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Well, I am so happy that we get to talk about Donde Esta Mi Gente because this is a series that's been around for some time. It's evolved and it's doing some really exciting things. So take us back. When and how did Donde Esta Mi Gente start? Well, um, back in 2014 here in San Francisco, I walked into Galeria de la Raza, which uh, was back then on 24th Street in the Mission. Um, I used to live in the Mission, and I had such a great time at one of their events called the Lunada, which was a monthly open mic for Latino writers. And I had such a wonderful, life-changing experience, and I kept asking myself why. And I realized that I had been working as an artist, a performer, stand-up comic, spoken word artist for like 10 years, and I almost could not count on my hand how many shows I had done with other Latinos. All mm. the art spaces I kept walking into were, you know, very white. Um, and if they were diverse, it was like six white guys, one black guy, and me. And I thought that was a shame in San Francisco with such a large, you know, Latino, Latinx population. So I talked with Annie Rivera, who I'm always going to be grateful to, because I said, you know, I think I should start a a show where I just perform with other Latinos so I can help showcase how incredible Latino artists are, how talented we are, and just be in community with them. And she said, yes, let's do that. She helped me write the grant. And we did the first uh, show as a festival back in 2014. It was three days and it sold out and we never stopped. Wow. So as you have done this series over time, what do you find? What do you find are the themes that that come up often that people really want to get into? The good question. The themes that I keep seeing are, well, hard work, immigrant <laughs> stories, perseverance, and just joy, like pure joy from connecting to our ancestors, to our families. Everybody has a poem about their grandmother and their <laughs> other cooking and um, dancing, but most importantly, like powering through and surviving like a world that is always trying to erase us, I feel, or push us to the side. And I, I love when I, I see that on stage and I see the audience respond to that or when a poet says, buenas tardes, and the audience responds in Spanish, because we get a lot of Latinos coming to our shows, you know, before the pandemic. So yeah, those are some of the themes that I, I keep seeing. How has it been to try to 
to do this series during a pandemic. <laughs> Exhausting. <laughs> uh, it's I, I tell folks doing virtual shows is like playing tennis with a cliff. You just keep throwing the balls into the air and they just fall into the cliff and you don't get any balls returned <laughs> to, to your to you. But, you know, you do it anyway because uh, there are people watching. There's just no exchange of energy that a lot of us poet performers, you know, love. Like we some of us keep doing it because of that energy we get from the audience. So doing virtual shows is exhausting because you don't get any of that energy back. But where we see the energy and where I, I mean, the reason I keep doing it is because of all of the comments. Uh, we just get emails and emails and texts from people thanking us for continuing to do shows like this. Uh, one of my favorite uh, comments I got was, thank you for reminding me that I exist and mm -hmm. that I'm human and that there are other Latinos like me out there uh, going through this and sharing my my struggle. So that, you know, I keep those. I screen cap all of those and put them in a file. Yeah, inspiration we need to try to, to as you say, when it is so hard with a, a Zoom show to get the kind of feedback that you're used to or you're not engaging with people in person as, as we're not doing, uh, we're doing this over Zoom. It's, it is really important to keep those things uh, to help you stay motivated. We're talking with Baruch Boras Hernandez, writer, performer, organizer, host, curator, stand-up comedian, and author of the chapter books, I Miss You, Delicate, and Lovers of the Deep Fried Circle, and co-organizer with Kikuri of Donde Esta Mi Gente, a literary series. We're also joined now by Kay Nielsen, a writer, performer, comedian who has read his work during Donde Esta Mi Gente. Kay Nielsen, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So um, I mentioned in the introduction that the next installment focuses on the experiences of Afro-Latinx writers. And I was wondering if you can comment on the importance of centering that experience in this literary series. I think it's something really special. Like in the show, in the Don't Stand Me Hint, the show that I was in, but which one was it? Uh, two, maybe a month or two ago? It was in February. In February, yeah. So it was... It was a the, the theme around it, uh, as far as I recall, was like centering Afro Latino stories. And um, as someone who you know is Afro Latino, I grew up in Miami that has a really robust um, uh, Afro Latino community. But being in California, that's not really something people talk about or really realize. Even stuff down to, you know, where does salsa come from? Like salsa is 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 innately a, is, is a black form of art. Um, and so it's really interesting. It's it's been really an amazing experience to be able to when I to be able to work with Baruch to create art spaces that I didn't see myself in. I went to college and did a, a, a minor in Chicano Latino studies, really then focusing in on the experiences of Afro-Latino people, um, looking into the histories of like uh, Afro-Mexicano people and just like how underrepresented that story is. And I think how it speaks to sort of global anti-Blackness. And so having a space where I get to celebrate my community is so important. And I think it helps open up people's eyes to see that being Latino is not a monolithic experience. It is, you know, across, it is so diverse. Like even like um, like Panama, where my family's from, has the, the oldest Chinatown in the Americas. You know, like there's just such a variety of experiences that, you know, being able to talk about Afro-Latino, that's very special to me. 
Well, I want to invite our listeners to join the conversation, just talking about the importance of literary series to you, Latinx writers you read and why. Also, if you want to comment on who are your gente, who are your people, and it doesn't necessarily have to necess fall along racial or ethnic lines, but but who have you turned to in the last year? 866-733-6786 if you want to join the conversation, have questions for our guests, or want to share what it means to you when you think about donde esta mi gente. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also email your questions to forum at kqed.org, or uh, you can also post them on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. I, I want to play an excerpt um, from a Black and Mexican poet, Ariana Brown, uh, who is reading from a poem here called Dear White Girls in My Spanish Class. And Ariana performs in the next installment of Donde Esta Mi Gente. Here's Ariana Brown. The descendants of slaves have always been the kindest to me. Eddie and I were the only ones good at Spanish. The others were good at being free. Blackness, the gift my father gave me, is the most human thing I have ever been blessed to be. Bond that cannot be broken should we choose it over supremacy. I've never needed a country to love me, just black people. I have never needed heaven, just black people. Baruch Boras Hernandez, that was an incredible cut from that poem. And one of the things I was struck by is you were telling our producer, Blanca, that you also wanted to have an installment that focused on Afro-Latino poets in part to, to also really interrogate racism within Latin culture, within Latino culture. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it's always been one of my um, goals for the show to... I feel myself as a, I mean, I'm a Mexican immigrant. I was born in Toluca, Mexico, and I came here. I, I have such a love for my comunidad, but I also, at the time when I started the show, felt that my understanding of my comunidad was, had a very Mexican lens, had a very, like, you know, light-skinned Mexican lens, and I wanted to learn more about my comunidad. And this is just a part of that continuing think is I, I want to help others also know that it's not just, you know, the Latino community is not just light-skinned Latinos. It's not just Mexico. And um, when I decided to to focus, to have this focus for the series, you know, KQD invited me to, we've been doing shows together for a long time now, since actually since 2014, and I'm very grateful to KQED. But for this series, when they asked me what I wanted, I said, I want to bring in another poet, not me. I want to bring in an Afro-Latino poet and hand the reins over to them uh, to help me create these shows. So I invited Reina J. Leon, who is an incredible author, organizer, educator, mother, uh, who is Afro-Latina herself. She's Puerto Rican and Black. And I said, hi, I would love to, you know, bring you on and pay you to help me, you know, because I'm not Afro-Latina myself. So I definitely could not make the artistic decisions for a show like this. And I was so grateful when she said yes. And so we're doing these shows throughout the year that are going to focus on this because I, I think, I believe we all have a responsibility as Latinos, especially light-skinned Latinos, to help, you know, dismantle and disrupt racismo in the Latin American communities, which it's, it's a huge problem. Uh, it's been going on for a long time. And so I'm hoping that with these shows, I mean, you know, you can't end racism with one poetry show, but... I'm hoping that these shows uh, help inspire our Latino communities to 
you know, go on a journey to start disrupting racismo anywhere they see it in the Latino communities, not just because we should, but because Afro-Latino artists are so incredible. <laughs> they're so incredible. And they're often not the focus when you say something like a Latino show or Latino poetry show. So I, you know, so that's that was one of my my goals with uh, with this show, because there's so many stories we don't hear because of racismo. There's so many incredible artists that we don't learn about and don't focus on because, you know, we've all been raised to be racist in this world and our eyes just gravitate towards a light skinned face. And so I'm hoping with this show and I didn't want to do just one, you know, everybody does their one February show where they focus on black people. I was like, no, we're going to do a whole bunch of them and I don't want to stop. You know, one of my goals is to eventually hand the show over to a person of color who is an Afro Latino to make it just a bigger part of this, you know, organization that I've put together with $2 and a little bit of grant money here and there. But uh, I just feel like, you know, all Latinos have a responsibility. And so since I am a writer and a poet, this is just, um, you know, our part as donde esta mi gente. Okay, Nelson, do you have a reaction at all to Ariana Brown's poem or, or just where you think this conversation needs to go? Um, my my reaction to Ariana Brown uh, is always goosebumps. Um, <laughs> I've had the the pleasure to have to have known Ariana for for a few years, and uh, you know, very rarely have I, you know, seen a performer who is so electrifying. There's something to hear it, you know, when you play that. But when you're in the room with her physically, uh, you know, she is enchanting. She's able to tie the room together. You can feel the past walk into the space with you through her. And that, that I think is sort of the miracle of her work um, is how transcendent it is. But um, something that resonated with me a lot uh, about what Baruch said is, you know, how, you know, not only is it the right thing to do, but it's also from an artistic perspective, like so many voices, right? And just, just a quick reminder, there's almost 200 million Black people in Latin America, Afro-descendant people in Latin America. 200 million is a lot of million. That's a lot of people. That is a deep history. And so yeah. when you think about ignoring that, you know, you are shutting down such a significant part of the history of Latin America, of the history of Latinos in the United States, of, of, of history more broadly. Um, and when I think of like the show that I did recently with, with, with Baruch, uh, there was a poet who did a, a poem about a song, um, this, this, old, this salsa song called um, El Rebelión, I think it's Joe jo Arroyo. And um, I think salsa to me is the, is the only music that is able to, uh, come with light with the darkest subject because La Rebellion is about a slave rebellion. And it's about an enslaved man who watches his wife getting beat down by the person who's enslaved them and how it just, something inside of him broke and he, you know, it's, it, he rebels. Um, that's not a story you get to hear outside of spaces like this. And this is such an intentional space where that was allowed to be brought in. And as someone who grew up in, I grew up in Miami um, where there are a lot of, um, there's a huge Hispanic population, obviously, but you know, it's it's also the bulk of people we see on TV are white Latinos. Um, I, you know, growing up hearing things like, and mind you, this is I I was born '94. This is not a long time ago. Um, like hearing things like, oh, you have to better the race, mejor la raza. Like these are things that these are conversations that are happening today, where you know there are young Latino children who are hearing from their parents, you can't be with someone darker than you. You're gonna ruin the race. What does that What does that do to you emotionally if you grow up a dark child feeling like, oh? I can't be with someone who looks like me because I'm ugly, because I'm less than, I need to better myself. What does that do to you psychologically? And in shows like this, it upends that and says, you know, why wouldn't I want to be with someone who's like me? Look at my history, you know? 
like this is helping people get in touch and get get back in touch with how to love themselves mm-hmm. um and that's something i really love about this series Okay, you're reminding me that I should remind people the next Donde Esta Mi Gente virtual event takes place at 7 p.m. Wednesday, tomorrow, April 28th. And you can register at www.kqed.org slash events. Kay Nelson is a writer, performer, a comedian who has read his work during Donde Esta Mi Gente. We also have Baruch Porras Hernandez with us, a writer, performer, organizer, host, curator, stand-up comedian, and author of the chapbooks I Miss You Delicate and lovers of the deep fried circle and co-organizer with KQD of Donde Esta Mi Gente literary series. And you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. This listener writes, thank you for taking an inclusive approach to Latinx culture and especially Afro-Latinos. I watched the most recent Donde Esta Mi Gente in February and it was so moving and invigorating. I miss live readings, but being able to watch them from home is a great alternative for many of us. And this other listener writes, how can Latinos not just stop anti-Blackness, but also heal the many wounds from generations of colorism? Uh, Kay Nelson, do you have any thoughts on that question? It's a big one. Um, Yeah, interrogating it when you see it. So if you have a thought, just like a reminder to people, we live in a world that is, you know, that is racist, right? We know that about the world. And so remember also that your first thought is not necessarily who you are, right? Your second thought is who you are. So if you have a thought that is not good and you can recognize that, that's your second thought. Now, once you get to that second thought, how do you disrupt yourself from thinking these things moving forward? How do you disrupt your own anti-Blackness? And it's by interrogating it, acknowledging it when you see it. Um, let me think. Well, um, I think, another, yeah. right, just to add one thing, like really notice in terms of space and class and like, pay attention. Like when my partner and I were in Mexico city, my partner is a white guy. We were having dinner somewhere. And I said to him, uh, have you noticed that I'm the darkest person in here who isn't serving anyone? Wow. You know, like there's, there's a lot of economic things. Just like no, take, you know, take attention, notice these things so that when you hear a family member say something messed up or you see whatever, and they say, Oh, well, that's just class or oh, what? And they, all these excuses come in. Um, just acknowledge, just being able to confront them with that, I think is really helpful. The other thing that I was struck by in reading those comments, Baruch, was also just, it reminded me of one of the questions that came up in our discussion, which is why people are so hungry to hear artists in this time. Maybe it's because of the pandemic as well, but just curious why you think that is in the last 30 seconds we have. Um, I feel the pandemic has made all of us feel isolated and very lonely and, excuse me, the other day, my friend said that he took a bunch of selfies of himself just to remind himself that he exists. And I feel like these shows um, have helped remind people who they are and where they come from and what matters to them. You know, that's what art does. That's what poetry does. It reminds you that you have a soul. And, you know, that's a go- our, our goal for a lot of these shows. I'm just so happy Kay is here with me because Kay actually helped name Donde Esta Mi Gente. When I came up with the idea, I couldn't come up with a title and Kay was like, call it Donde Esta Mi Gente. So <laughs> I just think it's perfect that he's here with me today. Yeah, well, I'm so glad that both of you are here with us today on Forum. Baruch Boras Hernandez, Kay Nilsson, thanks to both of you for joining us. And I also want to thank our listeners for questions, comments, and also Blanca Torres for producing both of today's segments. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. Check out Donde Esta Mi Gente.
Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.